Morning guys. Yeah, what a wonderful day. It's Youth Day. We celebrate Youth Day this week. And so young people, thank you so much for adding such a rich component to our Sunday um, gathering together as a church um, around Jesus and the gospel. What are the chances that just so happens that out of all the texts in the New Testament, there's only one small paragraph that deals with Jesus as a teenager. And as a church, when we lined up Luke, I can promise you none of us planned and lined this timing up as perfectly as this. But it just so happens that on the weekend that we're celebrating our young people and our teenagers particularly is the weekend that we get to read out of Luke about Jesus as a teenager. Remember Luke went around and he asked people that saw Jesus, that had a relationship with Jesus about his life. And Mary was one of those that Luke went to and asked about her son, Jesus. And um, I wonder if you'd have asked me to tell you one of the stories out of my kids' lives would this be the story? Um, imagine you asking me, hey, Keegan and Josh, as your two boys, pick one story out of their entire lives as young people to tell. And Mary chooses this story. Some writers talk about Jesus' teenage years and his younger years as a secret sealed or locked in garden that you, you can only look at it from the outside. You don't really get to see the inside because we don't know much about Jesus' teenage years. But what we do know is this one moment where Jesus... Um, with his family is moving towards the Passover celebration and I've asked Trevor being Youth Week to read our scripture for us today. So let's turn to, to Luke chapter 2. We're going to read from verse 41 to, to 51 together. So over to you Trevor. Luke chapter 2 verse 41 to 52. The boy Jesus in the temple. Now his parents went to Jerusalem every year at the feast of the Passover. And when he was twelve years old, they went up according to custom. And when the feast was ended, as they were returning, the boy Jesus stayed behind in Jerusalem. His parents did not know it, but supposing him to be in the group, they went a day's journey. But then they began to search for him among their relatives and acquaintances. And when they did not find him, they returned to Jerusalem searching for him. After three days, they found him in the temple, sitting among the teachers, listening to them and asking them questions. And all who heard him were amazed at his understanding and his answers. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Did you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand the saying that he spoke to them. And he went down with them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. And Jesus increased in wisdom and in stature, and in favor with God and man. Thank you, Tebo. In honor of Youth Day, I've decided to preach with a cap on for you guys. Okay, so this is a text that even if you haven't been to church, you might have heard about it. If you've been to church, certainly you've heard of this story of Jesus getting lost as a young boy, his mom and dad frantically searching for him, looking for where Jesus is. And so we're going to look at the text, but there's a lot happening here, and that, that if you don't understand the nuances of those things, it might miss you. So firstly, it speaks about Nazareth. They're moving from Nazareth to, 
to go to go to Bethlehem to celebrate the Passover feast. Now, the Passover was it was one of three feasts that the Jews would travel to, but it was the most significant one of the year that they would go to. And they would travel from all the outskirts. Remember in the beginning I shared with you how at this stage Israel was an insignificant province um, and the Jews were scattered all over the Roman Empire from the, in little villages. And one of those places was Nazareth. Now Nazareth was in John 6, Nathaniel, when he inquires about Jesus, asks, he says, can anything good come from there? Um, it's a bit like us East Londoners, where people think that East London is a, a suburb of PE. It's like, who's East London? What good comes from there? And we would bounce back with Friesland milkshakes and shamrock pies and the beaches come from East London. That would be my retort anyway. But we keep this known as the best kept secret in our country. But once a year, the families would gather and they would travel down or travel up to go and celebrate Passover. And this was the occasion. And like I said, there's a lot happening in the background. And these families wouldn't travel like you and I would travel. We wouldn't grab the, the Debrains or the, the, the Nanas, wouldn't jump in their own vehicle and go, hey, we're off to Cape Town or we're off to Joburg to go celebrate. No, what would happen is the whole Debrain clan would gather together, all our neighbors and our families and our uncles and our godfathers and godparents and aunties and uncles, the whole tribe, almost village would pack up and together almost travel in convoy or caravan up to where we're going to celebrate Passover together. It reminds me of Claire's dad telling me stories then when he was a small boy, how the, all the Flanagans in the Stat and Kumcha region would pack up almost their whole houses into, into big ox wagons and wagons, and they would travel for days down to the coast to Haga Haga, pitch their tents and camps, and for three, three, five, six, seven weeks, camp for a, just a holiday, and then take another week or two to travel back as a family. And this is the kind of traveling that was happening. The whole village, almost the whole extended family would gather. So uncles and aunts and nieces and nephews um, in, their, in their dozens would be traveling up to Jerusalem. Women wouldn't have to go, but often did go. And in this case, obviously Mary and the whole family, all the ladies went with. And we see that. This is also very significant um, because we're going to see in this text, it's also the year of Jesus' bar mitzvah. And bar mitzvah for a Jewish young boy is a very significant moment because he transitions from being a young boy to a young man. And now that won't be lost on many of us in the room. We understand what that transition looks like. But for Jesus, this was a special trip. This was the year of his bar mitzvah. This is the year that his dad speaks to him as a man, not as a boy, but as a man. This is also the year where his earthly father significantly invests time into his life to make sure that he understands what comes with the responsibility and the freedom and the, and the respect that is due to a man, a man of God, perfect, preferably for, for the Jewish man. So this was a very big moment for Jesus. It was not just every other year. He's been to 12 with his family before. This is a special time for Jesus. And like I said, he would have intense times with his father. Um, but the Jews with their extended families would travel. And so what would happen is during the day as they would travel, you can imagine all the kids messing around, playing around. Then, then he's with Uncle Joe, then with Uncle Pete, then he's with this family, etc., etc. So it's quite unusual um, that these that these caravans would be small. There'd be significant chunks of people moving forward. And then we get to the part of the story where um, they would camp. And then as they're camping on their way back from their feast, you, we get to the interesting place where where Jesus is, seems to be lost or mom and dad are discovering, hey, where's Jesus? He's meant to be with us. Where's our son? Where's our, where's our young boy? Where's our young man um, with us in this, on this trip? 
And we see that we're going to read it again just now, just the angst in Mary's voice. And many of you would have maybe seen the, the, the painting of, of, of Hoffman, I'm going to show it to you over here, where, where it depicts Jesus as this, I don't know how you've seen it, but I've often thought of Jesus as quite a, a cheeky nose at all. He goes into the temple and there he's lecturing the, the rabbis, the priests, the godly men, the men who know scripture. And I've always, and, and often in, in paintings like this and also in in, in hearsay, we kind of get the impression that Jesus is teaching these guys things that they never knew. But when you read the scripture, there's a different picture. There's a, there's a humility in Jesus sitting and listening. Jesus sitting and listening. And today, for us, that's significant. The, for us to hear that Jesus, God, is listening to us. God listens to us. God's not always the one speaking. He's, he's often the guy that listens to our hearts, cries, etc., so just on that, I thought it might be wise to just let's, let's go and let's read that passage again. So let's turn together to, to verse 48 together and we're going to read together. Luke 2, 48 to 51. And when his parents saw him, they were astonished. And his mother said to him, Son, why have you treated us so? Behold, your father and I have been searching for you in great distress. And he said to them, Why were you looking for me? Do you not know that I must be in my father's house? And they did not understand what he was saying that he spoke to, as he spoke to them. And he went down to them and came to Nazareth and was submissive to them. And his mother treasured up all these things in her heart. So this is quite a, quite a, quite a, a moment in this passage. This is where... Where they find Jesus, and you can see Mary has obviously panicked and going, I've lost my son in this whole caravan amongst everybody. We, we just thought they would be with Uncle Joe or with Uncle Pete, or they assumed that he would be with his nephews, but then they discovered after a day or so that Jesus is not with them. Panic set into a mom, like it would with any mom. Um, but you can hear Mary is not in a good mood. I remember as a young boy, when my mom was really, really mad at me, she used to, even in my dad's absence, talk about how my dad's angry at me and throw my dad's authority and my dad's um, and discipline into the picture for me. So I knew this is not just my mom that's upset. My dad's going to get me um, with a good hiding at the end of the day. But this is the, the moment here that's so real and so natural for Mary as the mom that raised Jesus. And all of a sudden she panics and she goes, I'm losing my boy. And obviously we know the whole story and we're going to realize that one day we're going to see Jesus at the cross and his mom's still standing there going, am I losing my boy again? But maybe there's like, I was thinking, for, like, why did Mary panic? Did she forget maybe that Jesus, did she forget about the angels and the Holy Spirit and the, the prophets and the shepherds and the kings? Has she forgotten about his birth, how he came into this world and how God supernaturally provided? And it's about like us when we panic, isn't it? We, we often forget about all the amazing miracles that God has done in our lives. We, we forget that God's supernatural provision is there for us. And, and in this moment, um, Mary forgot that Jesus was there, was supernatural, given to them, but also um, that the angels prophesied and there was prophetic words over who this boy would be and what he would do and accomplish for God. And that's very significant. It's easy how we forget those things. Or maybe, t maybe Mary thought that Jesus becoming a man and showing interest in, in the temple would come at a later stage. And she realized, whoa, this is quick. I mean, I remember the, the day that Chloe moved to Cape Town, the first day that she packed and she moved to Cape Town to start her studies in a, in a gap year. I said to Claire a week later, that was too quick. 
I didn't see that coming. I wasn't prepared for it. Maybe Mary in her heart just wasn't prepared for Jesus to be this young man moving towards adulthood and, and showing. Maybe she wasn't, in, she wasn't aware that Jesus was interested in theology, in the scriptures, and in his heavenly father yet. Maybe she, this came to her as a surprise. Just thinking, is Jesus really into those things now? Is this where my boy has he grown up? Has my boy grown up? And I'm sure many of our moms, many of our dads with our, with our kids growing up, maybe, and young people, I want to say to you, just be gracious to your parents. If you're a young teenager growing up fast and becoming your old, your own independent self, that your parents are going to take some time to, to adjust. And we're going to search this thing. And what we're going to see here is a very interesting concept. We're going to see Jesus moving or being lost to his parents in the, at the temple. And then they find him in the temple, safe, alive, after three days. Does it sound familiar? What happens at the cross? He dies. He tears down the curtain of the temple. And then he comes alive and he's with us. And there's a, I think, I think Luke in his genius in writing is almost foreshadowing what's going to happen. The loss that Mary suffers, the panic, and then she discovers, no, he's alive. Just as one day and uh, we would celebrate over Easter, we would almost read, we could read this over Easter, talking about Jesus being lost to us, away from us, dead to us. And on the third day we find him, and, or he finds us and he's alive. And, and the comfort and the, the reassurance that he, our son is alive, my son is with us. God is with us and God is alive. And then we see a very interesting shift in Jesus' life here. This is where Jesus moves from one dad to two dads. He moves from his earthly dad being the authority and the voice. And now he has a heavenly father. And he starts showing intrigue and interest and submission to his heavenly father. And this is very, very interesting. I remember uh, as a young kid, um, I grew up in... Um, and I, I got saved as almost at this age, at 12, 13 years old, I got introduced to my Heavenly Father. And I remember that slowly over the years that I grew up as a Christ follower, how my views would clash to maybe my parents' or my dad's views. And, and I realized I have to decide, am I going to go for my dad's call of my life or, or Jesus' call of my life? And I remember the conversation that I had with my dad when I explained to him at, at 16, 17, that I think God's calling me to full-time ministry. And saying, I think Jesus is calling me to become a full-time missionary. I never dreamt of leading a church. Um, I think leading a church is the greatest privilege any of us can have. But I did feel that God was calling me to serve Him with everything I had in my life. My dad had other plans. He, he, I think he dreamt of his son becoming a lawyer or an attorney or, or a full-time sportsman or playing for the Springboks. I don't know what some of those plans were. But certainly it wasn't in his idea that his son would become a ministry. And I remember the conversation that I had with my dad. Um, I can still remember where the conversation took place, saying, Dad, I feel like Jesus is calling me to give my, my life and my career to Him. And my dad, being the dad that he is, was generous, was gracious, was understanding, um, didn't maybe all understand what it means, in, like I still don't even understand sometimes what it means to give everything you have to Jesus. We're still learning how to do that. But this is what was happening with Jesus. So, And this happens to, Jesus' story is our story. We move from from ourselves to our families to and then we become Christ followers and and then we be, there's an authority that sits over our lives that's not mom and dad and now there's a higher authority there's a lord in our lives there's a savior in our lives that that we want to follow and often those moments can be tricky and isn't encouraging young people that following Jesus um, and obeying your parents should is 
we think it's going to be always easy, but it's not. Sometimes there will be a clash of priority and, and desire, etc. And I take comfort of that, the fact that Jesus also struggled through that. There was also a mom and a dad that had to understand, whoa, there's a, his heavenly father's in play right now. And so the next section of our, of our chat this morning, I want to move towards Jesus. And if you look at his life, he's gonna, we're going to move to a single dimension to three-dimensional living in relationship. What's happening in this short moment is Jesus goes from, I'm a young boy, young man, I'm in a family, two-dimensional, I've got others, it's me, myself and others, and then myself and God. There's a third dimension at play in my life. And we're going to look, I'm going to read it again, and we're going to look at how we work through those dimensions, how we grow in our relationship together. So firstly, we're going to look at the first dimension, or one-dimensional living. All kinds of people in our lives are, are living one-dimensional lives when it comes to relationship or relating to other people. Um, it could be in our family, it could be at work, it could be at school. Um, but these are people whose lives almost center only around themselves. They're living in a dimension where, where, they, where they're only living for themselves, where they, where they think they're the only person in their, their little universe. Um, we know that Jesus was sinless. Um, so we would imagine that Jesus would... would would not have struggled, but we can't imagine Jesus living selfishly. We can't imagine that, that this incident that Jesus did went to the temple out of a selfish ambition. We, we have to trust that it wasn't sin motiva- motivated. But you and I aren't Jesus. And, and so we, we tend to, and we can very easily fall into one-dimensional living where, where the whole world, or our whole universe is curved inwards towards ourselves, where, where everything matters. As long as I'm okay, we, we're good. And they spoke... the. The one writer I read spoke of Teddy Roosevelt, um, one of the, the presidents of America, and they, they described him like this. He says, Teddy Roosevelt was the bride at every wedding and the corpse at every funeral. Now that sounds whack, but what it actually means is wherever he went, he was the center of attention. He made sure that everything was about him. Maybe you've got a friend like that, or maybe you are the friend like that. Um, you go to a wedding or you go to a party and people say, so how was the wedding? How was the, the occasion that you went to? And then you start talking about, oh, I wasn't really happy with the seat they gave me. Um, the, there was a bit of a breeze on me. The cake wasn't really great. I prefer chocolate. They had vanilla. Um, the DJ played the old school disco. I prefer the rockier stuff. And all of a sudden, your expression or description of what happened or the party is more to do with what you enjoyed rather than the occasion or why you were there. The person's whose birthday it was or the bride or even maybe the funeral that you attended. And obviously, one-dimensional living is at the lower bottom rung or the bottom. We don't want to be there. We, we want to move out of one-dimensional living. And so it's probably the worst kind of living where you and I live for ourselves, where, where, we, where we center the world and everything through our lenses and through our lives and what's good for us. And then we move to a more um, natural or more realistic dimension of living. And that's two-dimensional living. Let's get my numbers right here. Because you young people are going to rip me off if I get two-dimensional. Anyway, but here we go. So two-dimensional living is when I'm relating to others. So that is in friendships, it's mom and dad, it's work, it's boss. It's We start relating to other people. Other people get um, come to play. And the language that, 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 that we use here is the, the politics of relationships. And, and I'm not talking about politics as in ANC, DA, EFF, etc. I'm talking about the politics of connecting with people. And in two-dimensional living, what we often find is a... 
almost a negotiation. I'll do this if you do this. We're constantly negotiating. And we see this even in the story here. Mary was saying, we did this for you. You should behave like this. What have you done to us? We've been such good parents to you. Why would you repay us with disappearing off to the temple without telling us? And so there's two-dimensional living. It's between Jesus and his parents. And we see how often that can bring us to conflict when when our priorities are different, when uh, our agendas change quickly in our lives. And even sometimes when Christ comes into our lives, it causes friction in our two-dimensional living. Because some of our friends that expected us to live in certain ways don't get that from us anymore because our priorities and our lordships change. Jesus is now the voice in my life, so it impacts on that. So two-dimensional living is, is better than one-dimensional living for sure because now we actually actually... We're hanging with people, we're talking, we're negotiating. Um, parents, if you do this, you're going to get your dessert. If you don't eat your food, um, our famous one as a kid growing up, if you don't finish your supper, there's no dessert for you. That's We grew up with it, our kids grew up. Or parents using, do you want me to count to three? They, and what parents are actually doing is they're negotiating with their, with their kids, saying, I'll count to three, but when I get to three, you better have done what I've asked you to do. Or stop doing what I've asked you to do. And so two dimensions is what we do for each other. And then what happens in this story is Jesus moves from the relationship with his mom and dad to a third dimension. His heavenly father enters the scene. Now it's not just me and mom or my, my, my dad and I or my friends and I or my nephews and my cousins. No, no. Now it's my heavenly father. Now I've got two fathers. I've got an earthly father in Joseph who Jesus submits. We see in this story, Jesus submits. As soon as they call him out and say, where have you been? What have you done? What do we read at the end? Jesus submitted and he followed them. He obeyed them as a good son would. And that's encouraging for us. And we see the humility in Jesus to still submit to his parents. But we can't ignore the fact that his heavenly father has now become the largest voice in his life. And three-dimensional living impacts everything. So when, when God enters our life, when we come to faith in Christ, what we, end, we, we move from, from, from first or one-dimensional to two-dimensional to a, a third-dimensional where God now is impacting how I even relate at one-dimensional living, how I even relate to myself, what I even say about myself, who I am, what I think of myself, what I, what I expect from myself. Now, now God's voice is larger than that. How I relate in two-dimensional living changes because God's voice and God's... So when God calls us to patiently love and, and care for and, and long-suffering care for each other, I don't get to be um, ir irritated just because I like to be. I, I don't get to get grumpy when I'm out of control or when my comforts are taken away. No, it impacts me. And then obviously the third dimension where we, where we connect with God, where God our Father speaks to us, where He opens our eyes, where He teaches us, where he calls us. Young people, I want to, I want to say to you, when God calls you to, to, to serve him and to obey him, obey him with everything you can. Even when it's going to become tricky at home, when it's tricky with your friends. You see, when the third dimension, when God enters our lives, in some ways we are beautifully ruined for eternity. We'll never be the same. Our priorities can never be the same. There's a new voice. There's a new Lord. We've discovered our Heavenly Father's love for us unconditionally. And over the next two or three weeks, we're going to see Jesus and His Heavenly Father, His baptism, the God speaking His, His favor over His Son and encouraging His Son. And we're going to see that. And God does that for you and I. And so just as we land this, this morning, we the story of Jesus, and I don't know where you are. Maybe you're still in one-dimensional living. If, you, if you're there, I want to say to you, as a Christ follower, that's not an option for us. 
we, we die to self. We, we say no to self. We, we, we open our hearts up. We curve our lives towards others. We start and not negotiating to others. We give freely to others. We look at Jesus' as an example of giving himself freely to others, freely to his Father, in submission, in obedience. He didn't argue with his dad. Um, and so as Christians, I want to encourage you, if that's you, um, move towards others in grace and love. Not negotiating, not politicking. Well, if you do this, I'm going to do this. I'll give, I'll give you this if you give me that. We're not bartering. No, no, no. This is a, we, we're giving ourselves to each other. And then I want to say to you as a Christ follower this morning, if, if you are a Christ follower, obey your Father. Obey your Heavenly Father. Trust Him. Have faith in what He's called you to. And if you're not a Christ follower this morning, I want to, I want to say to you, would you please, I'm asking you, I, I beg of you, would you choose Jesus? Would you choose your Father? Would you, would you, would you recognize your Father calling you this morning? Just as Jesus, um, going on His mitzvah year on a normal journey that He's done 12 years in a row, but this moment something changes, something, something happens and, and all of a sudden his life changes and the, the single or double dimensions move to a, a three-dimensional life that just enriches him like he's never dreamt of before. Would you consider these things as we, as we close? I want to pray for us. Jesus, thank you for scripture. Thank you for Luke <laughs> and for Luke showing us just the normality of a young teenage boy. Um, Growing in his, in his household, his beautiful attitude towards mom and dad. And Jesus, thank you for the example of him submitting to his mom and dad. But, but Lord, we, we thank you for Luke bringing in your, I don't know if it's your first encounter with your father, but certainly publicly the world becomes aware of your father in heaven. And Lord, for us, for many of us, we want our friends to become aware of our relationship with you. I pray for that this morning. I pray this morning for, for us that are living single-dimensional lives, one-dimensional living, that, that we, are, we, we confess that we live for ourselves, that we are obsessed with how we feel, how we do, how we are doing. We have little time for you. We have little time for others. We ask that you would forgive us this morning, that you would come into our lives and, and change and upset our lives in the way it's going. If we're living two-dimensional lives without you, we know that there will be conflict. There will be. There won't be grease on the gears in those relationships. We we need grace in those gears, and that grace only comes from you. So, Lord, we bring our two-dimensional relationships with our parents, with our friends, with our colleagues, with our our folk at church, our folk at work, Father God, our bosses, our our teachers, our our schools. We bring all those relationships. We ask God, would you come and well those relationships with grace and love and patience and mercy. And Father, thank you for you. Thank you that you sent Jesus. Thank you that we, we have a third dimension to our lives. Thank you that we have the richness of your relationship and your love and your grace over our lives. Firstly, as your sons and your daughters, that we get to experience your love. Just as Jesus um, was infatuated and couldn't get enough of you, I pray that that hunger would grow in us, that we would grow in our hunger for you and about you and of you, Lord Jesus. Pray that you'd bless us as we go on many ways in Jesus' name. Amen. Bless you. Thank you for being with us this morning. And thank you again to the young people for putting together a beautiful Youth Week service at Every Day. See you guys next week. Next week, I have my friend Greg, and he's going to be um, preaching for us, and he's going to continue in Luke with us. So Greg Easy from Covenant Grace is preaching next week. We look forward to seeing you again.